Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In the NOCO is supported by Blue Federal Credit Union, with locations from Denver to Cheyenne, helping members tap into the power of community. More information at bluefcu.com. Today on KUNC's Colorado Edition. With concerts and other live events gradually coming back to in-person over the course of the last year, plenty of people have jumped at the opportunity to get back to the joy of live music and theater. But not everyone is eager to get back to the same old scene. Conventional venues aren't always the safest places, especially for women and people of color. It would come up so casually that like, If there was only like a handful of people who reported sexual harassment, sexual assault, that was considered a good year. We'll listen back to a conversation with the founders of a collective called Text Me When You're Home. And as the Russian invasion of Ukraine continues, we'll hear messages of support and resolve from Colorado's Ukrainian community. Today is Wednesday, April 6th. I'm Erin O'Toole, and this is Colorado Edition from KUNC. Have you ever felt uncomfortable, threatened, or like you don't belong while trying to enjoy live music at a concert or festival? Traditional venues for music, theater, and the arts aren't always the safest and most welcoming spaces, especially for people of color, women, and individuals from marginalized communities. It can be difficult to enjoy what's happening on stage when you're feeling uncomfortable or you're worried about being inappropriately groped or harassed. Amy Karp and Ileana Rivera met as college students at the University of Colorado Boulder. They racked up a lot of hours in the local music and art scene and witnessed too many examples of problematic behavior, including physical and sexual harassment. To acknowledge and address these issues, they co-founded the Text Me When You're Home Collective, which organizes events across the Front Range and seeks to make the overall art scene in Colorado safer, more inclusive, and more uplifting. I spoke with them back in November about their work. I want to talk more about when Text Me When Your Home started and how it came to be, but let's shed some light on this issue of safety for many people at concerts and other events before we do that. What have you two experienced yourselves, or what have you heard from friends about safety at shows? So Ileana and I are both very avid concert goers, have been for our whole lives, and Um, we have both experienced a lot of different sort of problematic things happening in spaces. Um, But specifically, we both used to work for the University of uh, Boulder's Program Council. So we were planning all the shows and kind of had a really in-depth look into this. And I just remember specifically, we'd be working on the Welcome Fest concert and talking about different procedural stuff and just like the boring logistics of planning a concert and it would come up so casually that like if there was only like a handful of people who reported sexual harassment sexual assault that was considered a good year and it's a huge bummer that that's something that we're like I hope there's only three or four people who report a sexual harassment in the crowd tonight you know that shouldn't be the shouldn't be the goal Right. Eliana, does that kind of ring true for you too? Yes, definitely. Also just growing up and being around 
scenes where people are drinking alcohol, you're always told like never leave your drink unattended, um, you know, kind of make sure you go to the restroom with other people. It's just kind of been ingrained into our daily like practices when we go to large events. And I think that recognizing that is probably the first step to like, how can we make spaces not like that, where you can like let your guard down and just enjoy yourself. Have a reasonable expectation that you will be safe. Exactly. Well, this issue is sort of in the crosshairs of the collective, text me when you're home. Let's back up. Tell us about how you two met and when you started talking about making this collective. So um, Amy and I met our freshman year of college at Program Council. So we both started out with like event planning and kind of hit it off really quickly about like we just always wanted to go to concerts together and had a lot of fun doing so. Um, And friends always say, you know, like text me when you get home, making sure like you're okay. You want to make sure that all your friends get home safe. And um, we kind of just had one of our many rushes of ideas at once and we were talking about how unfortunate it is that we don't have locations that we can safely like hang out at and listen to music without kind of being on guard so we were like why don't we create that why don't we just begin it ourselves and I think that was something that we both have thought about just in our lives and then we met each other and bounced ideas off of each other and that's how it came to fruition. What sort of reaction has the collective gotten so far? What are some of the things that you've heard from people who attend your events? It's been really nice. People are very excited, I think, just to have the space of other folks facilitating. I think people are really excited to get back into um, event spaces. And we've heard a lot of really great feedback from attendees and people who were performing or selling art at our events. And I think... um, it's just new and we're learning every time. So everyone's feedback has been very helpful. And we really try to make sure that we take everyone's like notes into account, good or bad. We're speaking with Text Me When You're Home co-founders Ileana Rivera and Amy Karp. Amy, can you tell us a little bit about some of the pop-ups and concert events that you have organized? Sure. Yes. Um, it started in my backyard in Boulder on the hill. Um, It was a really great space. I had a nice backyard to make sure we had lots of room for art vendors and a good stage area, um, like all the cute houses in Boulder. Um, Yeah, we started because it started with our, the idea for a fund actually. We said that we wanted to be able to start a fund to give money directly to artists, especially like coming out of the pandemic. A lot of artists have been struggling trying to find a way to get back out there, but also just like to have enough money to live. So we wanted to be able to provide money directly to them. So our first event was a fundraiser for our grant fund. Um, It was hugely successful. We had six or seven musicians, 13 different art vendors uh, participating in this, you know, just my backyard. And we ended up raising um, $2,700 and were able to provide uh, nine different micro grants to different artists who had applied. So it was really exciting. Wow. And so raising funds, are, what else makes these events different from more conventional concert spaces? What sort of principles are you employing at these events? 
Um, before each of our events, we make sure that the attendees and the artists are aware of our norms of the event space. Um, kind of, we don't tolerate like bigotry, sexism, racism, ableism, um, even like mask reciprocity and things like that. We make sure that people are aware before they attend and while they're attending that these will be upkept the entire time. And that people will get kicked out if they don't abide by these rules. A lot of people don't do that. And it's really upsetting. Yes, exactly. Right. So you establish that right off the bat. For those who aren't familiar, can I ask what mask reciprocity is? Okay. So um, still being in a pandemic right now, folks feel more comfortable, even vaccinated, still wearing a mask. So if we are in an environment where you want to go up to a vendor and they're wearing a mask, we ask that you put one on yourself, you know, like no questions about it. Just respect that person's space physically. And I think that's really important. Well, how has the pandemic impacted what you two have been working on? Concerts, for example, and in other ways. Yeah. Um, I mean, it affected both of our jobs in a huge way. We went from planning these like really fun, large and small scale concerts alike for the school to planning virtual stuff, which was still like something to do, but you just don't get that sense of community, of belonging, of like being in a physical space with people um, that you do at a concert and people, including ourselves, especially just really felt that that was something that was lacking. And I mean, text me when you're home is a pandemic baby. Basically we, it's, what birthed the idea for it. And we always come back to this idea of facilitating community. Uh, Whether you're an artist or a patron, I think there's a lot to be gained by being in this space where you can really connect with one another. And we try to plan our events around the idea that like different types of artists and musicians and fans of different things are all coming together and maybe discovering that they're a fan of something they didn't know they were before and making friends and yeah. What can venues and people who run events, large and small, do uh, to be proactive about this? What can they do or what should they be doing to make their spaces more open and more safe? Great question. (laughs) Uh, Like Ileana was mentioning before, the event norms are a huge thing for us. When people know it's expected of them, I think that that genuinely makes people act better. Um, and I was surprised looking through different lists of local venues and like big festivals and things like that. There's not rules anywhere. It's not something that you're agreeing to when you buy a ticket. It's not something that's listed on the, their websites. It's just, it's not even an expectation. And I think making it something where you know, bare minimum, if you're harassing someone, you're going to get kicked out. Like that's something that should be instituted everywhere all the time. You don't get to enjoy this concert if you're making everyone else's night worse. I would also like to add, um, I think training the folks that work in their venues on how to spot things like um, when people are uncomfortable or recoiling physically or even um, how to spot if a drink has been messed with or drugged and racial sensitivity training to security. I think that is a really big thing that venues can implement because I think a lot of it has to do with drunk people acting up and I don't think that some of the people who work there are super comfortable with interfering or intervening with anything. So I think making sure that your staff feels ready to address these issues. 
while they are happening. That was Ileana Rivera and Amy Karp of the Text Me When You're Home Collective. You can find links to their work at our website, KUNC.org. Thank you both so much for speaking with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. As the Russian invasion of Ukraine continues, the U.S. and allied countries are set to announce additional sanctions tomorrow that will target government officials and their families, as well as Russian-owned financial institutions. This is partly in response to the killings of civilians revealed recently in Ukraine, which President Biden has called war crimes. The Ukrainian community in Colorado has been standing in solidarity with their friends and families back home. In late February, I visited a Ukrainian church in northwest Denver to hear from some of the folks there about how they're feeling. It's Sunday morning at Transfiguration of Our Lord Ukrainian Catholic Church in Denver. Families take their places in the sturdy wooden pews, while moms and dads hush rambunctious little ones in their native language. The 10.30 service in Ukrainian has just begun. There are about 11,000 people of Ukrainian descent living in Colorado, according to recent census data. Some have found community with each other in the church. Today and on recent Sundays, congregants have been praying for their country and loved ones back home. Whether they emigrated from Ukraine themselves or were born in the United States, they share the same concern over the future of their homeland. I'm Tulosia Fedak, and I live in Wheatridge, Colorado. She's been coming to the church for 50 years since moving to Colorado in 1972. I was a child when the war started, and after the war, we came to the States as immigrants. So it hurts, you know, it really... Almost makes me sick to see what's happening, to what the world is letting Putin do. I don't know, it's almost like asking for a miracle that Putin backs off. My name is Stefan Cruz, but it's actually Krushelnitsky. I live in Lakewood. My father is from Western Ukraine. My mom is from Buenos Aires, Argentina. However, her parents were from Ukraine and they immigrated during the times of the Soviet Revolution and World War I. So that gives you an idea how how scattered the Ukrainian people are because of revolutions, wars, and other atrocities, if you will. Stefan has been coming to the Ukrainian Catholic Church his entire life. I was baptized here. He says he's hoping for more support from the international community, especially given that he still has friends and family in Ukraine. As for my friends in Kyiv and Ivano-Frankivsk, they are under attack, but they're still doing okay. As for my family, I have not been able to get a hold of them. Uh, It's Olya Dleboha Kuzma. I live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Is this your normal church? Yes. Yes. You make a little bit of a drive. Yes, I do. I think that uh, as a collective people on this planet, we're watching innocent people being slaughtered. But it's something that my people, the Ukrainians, have experienced for over a thousand years. We will survive because we always do. We haven't been extinguished yet. Olya has family living in Ukraine now. And although she doesn't use a cell phone, she keeps in contact with them through other family members. They are um, 
some of them are in uh, bomb shelters and in um, um, basements of buildings and uh, waiting it out. She says it will take a combination of military, political, and spiritual will to get through the crisis. I have to believe what my faith uh, tells me to believe. God didn't give us independence in 1991 and restore our churches that were in the catacombs to take that away from us again. I have to believe that God has his hand in all of this and as we read in the Holy Scriptures that he gave victory to the underdog and he will bless us and restore us. I'm Father Valery Kanduk. Uh, I move a uh, couple months. Uh, I'm start celebrate this uh, in September uh, 2021 years. Could you talk about the message to your congregation today? Я так зрозумів, що я сьогодні говорив до людей, так? За піст, за молитву, за прощення. Okay. So help help to Ukraine, Lent and forgiveness. That's Inya Saldit translating for Father Valeri. I ask him if he has family in Ukraine that he's worried about. So, so he has a large family in, in Ukraine. They live in the south in Mykolaivska Oblast. Right now they're in the midst of a battle. The message is that God will help them and protect them. Inia, or Johanna, as her American friends call her, lives in Denver and is president of the Denver chapter of the Ukrainian National Women's League. She isn't a regular at Transfiguration of Our Lord Church, but she's here for the sense of community with the people here. I'm Ukrainian. I've um, my parents came from Ukraine. They were immigrants after World War II, actually refugees. I've uh, been Ukrainian my entire life, and um, I'm born American, but my heart is Ukrainian. Johanna tells me she's grateful for the support from Colorado's congressional delegation and from Governor Jared Polis. She wipes away a few tears as she describes the crush of emotions she's feeling. I'm I'm heartbroken. I'm sad. I'm proud. I'm so proud of of the president Zelensky. Uh, you know, it, it's he's I've watched the videos that he's put out and it brings me to tears and so proud of my family and the Ukrainians here and everyone coming together and you know we, we've been rallying there have been rallies all over the world and actually I, I'm trying to communicate to my family in Ukraine that the whole world is supporting them the people of the world. My name is Irina Lubyanetska and I live in Lakewood, Colorado. Irina has attended the church for more than 20 years around the time she moved to America. She is seeing Ukrainians in and outside of the country stepping up to support the resistance against Russia. Ukrainian people are so feisty, they're not going to let Putin rule the Ukraine ever. So a lot of people like signing up and going, volunteering, and so 
they do have stuff under control, but it is still a lot of chaos because it's, you know, unveiling, unveiling so fast. Irina has been in touch with her mother-in-law, cousins, and friends in Ukraine who can't always reveal where they are because of safety concerns. The only thing I'm asking them every day, how are you guys? How are you guys? Do you need any help? How can we help if you need anything other than whatever we have done so far? And they said they are scared, but they are ready to fight and they're praying to God to help them. The Ukrainian language service ends with members of the congregation standing and raising their voices together in a final hymn. Here's Irina describing the message. We sing this song like, God, please help Ukraine and protect us. After liturgy, we sing the same song and just like a hymn to Ukraine and just asking God to protect Ukraine. You can see photos from the service at Transfiguration of Our Lord Catholic Church at KUNC.org. And this Friday, I'll talk with a Fort Collins emergency veterinarian who recently traveled to the Ukrainian border to help refugees fleeing with their beloved pets. And before we wrap up this episode, a couple of quick news items to be aware of today. The Aurora city manager has fired police chief Vanessa Wilson, saying that areas of the department needed refocused attention. Wilson, who was the first woman to hold that position in Aurora, had been in the top post since 2020. Some city council members and police union leaders had expressed a lack of confidence in her leadership. And the city of Louisville has voted to adopt an ordinance that will allow residents whose homes were damaged or destroyed in the Marshall Fire to rebuild under less stringent environmental standards. Stricter building codes were put in place last year, not long before Colorado's most destructive wildfire blazed through the area. Some residents had argued that the new regulations would add tens of thousands of dollars to the cost of rebuilding. That's all for today's Colorado edition. Our executive producer is Sean Corcoran. Digital editing is handled by Ashley Jeffcoat. If you're not already a subscriber, sign up so you won't miss out on any episodes. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. I'm Erin O'Toole. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back Friday with more news from Northern Colorado. 